morning to each of you. Uh, so the question of uh, what does it mean to be saved? So um, the verse on the board, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. There are many verses uh, that I could have up there, but that verse uh, speaks to a specific question, and that is, what, to what extent are we changed inside ourselves when we are born again? And that verse says that when we are born again, we become a new creature, I think the King James says, creation. A new person is created inside of us. We become a new person. And then the question is, well, to what extent? And what kind of change is this? And who is this new person? And of course, then you have the question, so how does this new person, creation, uh, live differently than before. So there, there are a lot of questions surrounding this question of salvation. What does it mean to be saved, to be delivered from the devil, to be delivered from evil? So I have uh, talked on Sunday mornings the last seven, I think the last seven times that I have preached about um, Anabaptist issues, uh, beliefs, practices, and uh, reflecting back on these seven sermons, uh, I, I am uh, supposed to uh, present a series similar to this next February at Shepherd's Institute, and I am really pondering how to address these issues. Um, I'm reflecting on how it went here and am, frankly, a little bit disappointed. Um, maybe that I didn't do better with the challenge. Uh, uh, well, let me describe the challenge briefly if I can. Um, I really do not want to present what anybody believes and not be fair with them. And there, there, in some of these questions, issues, there are fine distinctions between positions, and these fine distinctions do have results. Uh, in the end, results in how people live. There are these fine distinctions, but to get up here and try to describe the fine distinctions, then I wonder how helpful that is. Is that just confusing? And so I'm just uh, confessing. It's been somewhat of a challenge, and I'm not sure that I did the best with it. So I'm pondering that, how to, how to do better next time. 
So we have that same challenge here this morning with the issue of salvation, and and I am going to try to uh, be very clear. So I'm going to start by saying that a basic difference between the general common Anabaptist beliefs of salvation and what I'll just call the Protestant view, and I'm including Lutherans and Calvin, Calvinists. The difference, basic difference is that Anabaptist Mennonites have seen salvation as, as an internal work of God in the heart that changes the person. This might sound strange to you, but that view of an internal work in the heart, in contrast to the common Protestant view that tried to keep salvation more as a work of God outside of us, external. And I'll try to explain that. Uh, as we go along. So, this, this distinction between an internal work of the heart and an external work outside of us, uh, begins in the first issue that I have on, on your notes, view of humans. And the question of uh, the impact of Adam's sin on people, on humans, and how, what the impact is for infants when they're born. Okay? So, the, in that issue, uh, the common Protestant view was that all Adam's descendants um, were present in Adam when he sinned somehow were present, and participated somehow in the original sin of Adam. And so the result of this is, in that view, that infants are born guilty of Adam's original sin. And this is uh, the basic uh, Catholic view, and it was the basic Protestant view. So, so then the question was, how do you deliver infants at birth from this problem of being guilty of Adam's original sin, Adam and Eve's sin? So the answer to that was uh, infant baptism, the view being that baptism delivered a, an infant from this problem of being guilty. And so... The Anabaptist answer to that was that infants have no guilt of original sin. They're not born guilty of original sin. They are born in a state similar to Adam and Eve before they fell. This is how infants come into the world. They're not guilty at birth. They become guilty when they consciously 
make a choice that they know is wrong, when they know what is right and good and true, and they make a choice against that, that is when they become guilty. It's when he has a, when a person has a knowledge of good and evil and is aware he is violating this knowledge. That's when he becomes guilty. So the second issue there, the issue of the will. This is also related to uh, internal, external work of God. So the common Luther's view, but also common Protestant view, was that man's will is bound by sin. So a person cannot... And by the way, when I say the word man, I mean men and women. I just mean humans. This is kind of a uh, theological talk. I want to say, pardon me, it's just how this thing has been talked about over the years. Uh, the, The human will is bound by sin. And so people are not, they can't do anything to help themselves or to effect a change. They're bound. The will is bound. So the Anabaptist answer to that is, no, the will is not bound. They believe that God's grace um, frees people, gives them the ability to choose. They're not bound that they have to reject Christ. Well, they're not helpless. I have to be careful what I say. (laughs) They're not helpless. And a Baptist would have said that, yes, God has to work in the heart to motivate a person, to instruct a person, to give them the ability to choose, the ability to believe Christ. God has to work in their believing, but the will is not bound. They're free to make a choice. Uh, Now, I feel like I need to back up and say something about um, infants not being born guilty of original sin. I forgot to say that Anabaptists, Mennonites, have believed that the reason... Uh, children are not born guilty of original sin is because of the work of Christ on the cross. That it applies to uh, innocent people, to children, and also to people who have uh, mental, emotional defects that they cannot know or choose. They are not lost. They are safe in Jesus. That was their view. Okay, so the the Anabaptist view of the will is that uh, God works in any person and frees them, gives them the will, the ability to choose between uh, trusting Christ or not trusting Christ. Okay, now the meaning... The meaning of justification and then the meaning of salvation. 
so the meaning of justification, and by justification, I'm talking about initial conversion I'm talking about how people begin the Christian life. So, what, on what basis does God say a person is righteous in my eyes and accepted by me and is my child? That, that's the question in justification. On what basis does God say, or the technical terms declare, that a person is right with me, is righteous. So, uh, Luther. Luther uh, was a major uh, considered the earliest person to, the first person to uh, go against the common Catholic views on many things. He wasn't the only one, but he's looked at as the father of the Reformation. And his early view of what it takes to be right with God, to be justified, his early view was very similar to the final Anabaptist view. I don't think most people know that, but that is so he his early view, like when the date that he posted those 95 theses, which um, people would say that's the beginning of the Reformation. That was October of 1517. His early view, there's his uh, writings and teaching material and so on, show that in 1516 already. He was questioning the Catholic view and was promoting the idea that God, God works in our justification is based on God working in the heart, it's that, that the sinner can respond to God's work in the heart, and that response in that response, the sinner is participating with God in, in his salvation. That was his early view. Uh, and, that, and that the person, uh, in, in that work of God, when a person responded, the person would be united with Christ, be in union with Christ. And I believe he saw this union with Christ as the basis for the righteousness because Christ is righteous and you're in union with him, which I agree with that view. Um, but then as time passed, he moved more and more uh, toward the view that the uh, believer is both a sinner and a saint. He, he reduced, as he moved on, he reduced... Um, the activity of God in the heart and uh, talked about God's righteousness being imputed to a person as opposed to being in the person. 
he moved toward a more external view of what it took for God to say that a person is righteous. So then we uh, go to uh, Lutherans in general uh, because what Lutherans in general concluded as time went on, what they concluded that justification is, has become the uh, modern post-Reformation view of what justification is. So Luther's co-worker, uh, Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon, I have his name there on the notes. Um, he, he was a scholar, a scholar's scholar, a brilliant person who knew um, Latin, Greek, Hebrew. By the time he was 17, mastered all these languages, German, uh, mastered theology, yeah, I'll just state it again. He was brilliant, and everyone knew he was. And he did quite a bit of uh, writing and uh, expanded on Luther's thoughts. Melanchthon moved. He took uh, Luther's final view and expanded on that. He, he emphasized... Um, he emphasized that God declared we're righteous because the righteousness of Christ, when a person believes, the righteousness of Christ is... Okay, one way to describe this. There's a bank account of righteousness. There's a, there's a lot of righteousness in the bank. When a person believes, it's transferred from Christ's account to the person who is believing their account. This happens on the books of heaven. It's not necessarily something that happens inside a person. This is a declare, a speaking righteousness. This is Melanchthon's final view. It's the view that then uh, I have there the formula of concord. So Melanchthon had that view, and then another Lutheran who disagreed with Melanchthon had a more Anabaptist view. He said that he found in Luther this more Anabaptist view, and he emphasized that view, like there is a change inside people, and people become righteous because Christ is working in them and they are united to Christ. A more eternal work that then God says you're righteous because of this internal work. So, Melanchthon and Osiander and others got in this big, big discussion, and then you they had this meeting, this formula of concord, and Osiander's views were condemned. He was condemned as a heretic. And 
and Melanchthon's views were affirmed, and so Osiander's wrong, Melanchthon is right. And I'm just, I'm just trying to give here the historical development here, uh, how, things, how things can develop. Uh, so Osiander sounded more like an Anabaptist, but he was condemned. His, his views did not carry the day. So here, here in summary is the Anabaptist idea of justification. Uh, it is that God uh, works in the heart and the person responds with faith in Christ. And then God uh, regenerates the heart and unites the believer with Christ. And uh, this union with Christ and this regeneration of the heart and the repentance, faith and repentance of the person, on the basis of all of this activity of God and response of the person, God says the person is righteous. So, so the internal work of God in the heart and the response of the person, that's the basis for God saying, you're right with me, and that's what justification is. So that, that, that in a nutshell is the Anabaptist view. Now I'm going to talk about a broader sense, the Anabaptist view of salvation. And uh, the things that I say here are uh, historical. Um, they are also, in my understanding, they are biblical. Uh, I could take, I don't have time, I could take Scripture and preach the same thing. In other words, I'm saying I believe what the Anabaptist Mennonites believed about salvation was biblical, it was scriptural, it was right. I do believe that. So the first, I have three main areas here uh, of the Anabaptist view. First of all, they believed in, in, I say, experiential internal justification. So I'm emphasizing this idea of an internal, internal, something experienced inside a person and not just something on the books of heaven, okay? So this internal work of God in the heart and the response of a person, they, in that they emphasize personal choice, that people can make a personal choice. This is which, which is the issue of predestination. Is a person predestined and they have to and they have no choice in it? Anabaptists would have said people can make a personal choice. They have the freedom. The will is not bound. They have freedom of the will to choose. And this uh, freedom of the will to choose is the result of God's work in the heart. People do not, they would not have said, that people can just decide, 
without God working. This is not a human work. This is not a human effort. This is um, the response of the heart to the work of God in the heart. They also emphasize repentance, uh, and they use verses, believe and repent. They emphasize repentance, uh, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of attitude about uh, their sins and the effect of their sins on God and other people and on themselves. They emphasize repentance about one's sins and, they, and, and the need to turn around. A person's not really has not really been regenerated if they just continue living in sin. So they emphasize repentance and a change of heart, change of mind. They use the word, uh, the German word, Gelassenheit, to describe uh, a frame of mind and condition of the heart that is necessary for salvation. Uh, the word Gelassenheit uh, uh, means yieldedness, uh, resignation, trust, abandonment to God, to Christ. Uh, that begins this transformation, this internal transformation, the Glossenheit, yieldedness. And, and the word also uh, speaks of um, when, when you talk about a person trusting Jesus, trusting God, giving up on running my own life. For, for an Anabaptist Mennonite, the word Galassenheit is the word that describes this uh, giving up my independent spirit, giving up, I'm going to do my own thing, uh, giving up, uh, protecting myself, taking care of myself, uh, all, all of these uh, difficulties that humans have in what we call surrender. Uh, all of that is embodied in this word, Galassenheit. So, Anabaptists talked a lot about it, wrote a lot about it, this Galassenheit idea. And it also, um, in their mind, uh, the only way you could suffer and be willing to die in persecution, which a lot of them did, burn at the stake, whatever. They said it's only the Galassianite people who can do this. You, you have to be in this yielded to God's faith, trusting that He will take care of me, and if I die, that's okay. Just don't deny Christ. So, Galassenheit then uh, had these implications for suffering at the hands of people who uh, were condemning you to death. 
They said that a person must develop conscious awareness of being destitute spiritually, being needy, and out of this awareness of poverty, spiritual poverty, the person uh, exercised this Galatianite. And of course, they would have said too that God was working in the person so that they could do this Galatian height, be this way. Um, so, and the last thing I want to mention about this internal experiential experience inside the person view is that they believe that justification is rooted in regeneration or conversion. Regeneration of the heart. God doesn't just say people are righteous. They have been regenerated. And that's why he says that they are righteous. Okay, the second item here, Christ's death and resurrection is reproduced in the believer. Um, so there, there is a substantial, I'm going to use the word substantial, Something substantial happens inside a person in their salvation experience. So they had the idea that Christ's death and resurrection was reproduced in a person at conversion, uh, which I have said here sometimes in sermons that they use Romans 6. Uh, Christ's death and resurrection is reproduced in the believer. That Christ dies us and raises us. He performs an operation in our heart in which we die to sin in the same way that He died on the cross and that we are raised to a new life in the same way that he was raised from the dead. And this is not something that, that people do for themselves. It's what God does in people who trust in Jesus. So they believe that at conversion or regeneration, uh, God changes a person from a sinner to a saint makes the new believer intrinsically righteous, like there's a substantial change inside them. And then I feel like I need to say, please, please don't um, don't expect me to give you a mechanical or metaphysical or philosophical explanation for the mechanics of how God dies us and rises, raises us, or how God changes us from a sinner to a saint, or how God makes us righteous. I do not know the mechanics. I don't know. I don't think anybody does. This, this is a uh, spiritual activity of God that maybe is like uh, Jesus said when he talked to Nicodemus about the wind blowing. And we don't, 
We don't know how to uh, capture it or describe it or whatever, but we know the wind blows. It's that sort of idea. So they believe that conversion or regeneration changes a person from a sinner to a saint. It creates a new person, that 2 Corinthians 5.17 idea. Uh, it makes a person right with God, makes a person righteous in God's eyes because He made them that way. Uh, they use the word... Uh, the German word, I don't know how to say all these words, but Gerecht Machen, I think, is how it's pronounced. The idea, they use the word to make just or right, as opposed to the word generally used by Protestants, which was to declare right. So they had the idea that God makes us right in our person, in our heart, inside us. And so God delivers the sinner from the condition of being a sinner, as opposed to Luther, a believer is still a sinner. Um, they believe that God rescues the sinner from the dominion of the devil and transplants the sinner into Christ's kingdom, which is taught in Scripture, Colossians 1, other places. So, uh, to summarize um, A and B there in your notes, um, a summary of that would be that they believe that God's declaration that a person is in right relationship with Him is based both on Christ's life, death, and resurrection outside of a person and is based on God's work in the person. Both of these, they said, were necessary. The work of God outside in Christ and the work of God inside in the heart. And so according to this view, they said justification is not the result of partaking of the sacraments, which was Catholic, uh, nor is it the result of God imputing the substitutionary righteousness of Christ to our account in heaven, uh, which was uh, traditional Protestant. Rather, salvation, justification, according to an Anabaptist Mennonite, is based on the historical life, death, and resurrection of Christ, on God's call to faith and repentance, on the sinner's surrender, Glossenheit, to Christ as Savior and Lord, on God's forgiveness of the person's sins because of the shed blood of Christ, on God's regeneration of the heart, on God's implantation of the seed of life, the new life, spiritual life in the person, and on the person's God uniting the person with Christ, uh, bringing the sinner into a loving, bonded heart relationship with Christ. This was their view of salvation, justification.
Then the third thing here I have is salvation transforms the life. So this is an internal work of God in the heart, and there's going to be a result in the way people live. Um, So they, I I call this a resurrection of sanctification. The resurrection of Christ results in an ongoing work inside and empowering to change and to live an upright life. So they believe that the believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit through the risen Christ. And so now they emphasize the Sermon on the Mount a lot. So now people can live the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, They understood that um, this kind of life is only possible through the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ. Christ's resurrection life, they believed it was reproduced. It will be reproduced in the believer uh, because of everything I've said, because God is working in the heart. And uh, they had the idea that everything that Christ possesses, righteousness, uh, faith, hope, all of these attributes of Christ, they believe, because of a person's union with Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and Christ's presence, etc., etc., they believe that everything that Christ was, who He was, that that, that was, um, it was possible for that to be experienced by the believer. This is reproduced in the believer because, because, they are in union with Christ in fellowship with Him. Uh, and I would just say that um, that is for sure a beautiful, beautiful picture of uh, the work of God on behalf of a believer and what a believer can experience in their relationship with Christ. It is a beautiful picture. And they believed it. And they tried to live into it. And uh, as I say these things, I am very aware of uh, the hindrances and barriers that people experience, have experienced through the years, to actually experience what I'm describing. But this is what they believe was possible and is what the Bible teaches. So... um, Lifelong discipleship, they believed in that, following Christ as Lord. Uh, Continuing to live a life of faith and repentance. Uh, They they believed that faith, I'm really moving along here. They believed that faith produces good works. Uh, they, They did join faith and works. They said they were not making justification depend on good works. They they were accused of this many times and denied it all the time. They said that good works are the result of faith and that faith and salvation is not based on good works. It's based on a response to God's work in the heart. 
they believe that the believer must live a life in 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 um, conjunction with other beliefs. Uh, they emphasize surrender to other believers, walking in hand with hand in hand with others. I don't have time to go into that. Okay, so now one caution here in relation to everything I've said. Uh, the believer is not perfected at conversion. So they believe in an, in an internal, experiential, substantial salvation, conversion. And I think if we would go around this room and give everybody the opportunity to talk about their thoughts about that kind of conversion... Uh, the way there'd be a lot of variety among us, and some of us might decide that we're not even saved. Uh, you know, I, I would have my own story. Uh, and maybe, maybe that speaks to the point that salvation can, can be a process. It is a process, and even conversion for some people is experienced as a process. So I'm just saying there's a lot of issues related to this, but the believer is not perfected at conversion. So I want to clarify that just a little. Uh, what I'm saying by that, that even though a person is changed from a sinner to a saint, he's not delivered from all of his bad habits. Generally. If you were, that's good. That's wonderful. Praise God. But most of us weren't. And we have thought processes and feelings and uh, make choices out of those things after conversion that, that aren't pleasing to God and we can be forgiven. So I'm saying there's, uh, we, we don't, Anabaptists did not, although they tended this way, One of the challenges for Anabaptist Mennonites has been to view conversion as perfecting a person. Uh, they tried not to, but sometimes that's kind of how it came out. So I'm just identifying that as a challenge. Okay, so a few comments here in closing. Um, Anabaptist Mennonites believe People can choose what is right because God works in them and gives them this freedom. Uh, they believe that salvation is, I don't think I used this word this morning yet. They believe salvation is intrinsic, it's internal. That it transforms the inner person. That it's not just something happening in God's mind or on the books of heaven. They believe salvation will change not only a person inside, but it will change the way they live. Um, now I want to uh, mention two things uh, for today uh, that I've 
observed over the years, two things believers often struggle with. Um, the, the one after conversion, the one is the, uh, the struggle to feel and experience in the heart this salvation that the Bible talks about. And uh, my experience has been that this is very troubling to many people, that they don't feel like. I'm not making fun of feeling either. I'm, people don't, some people, they don't feel like, they don't feel anything inside that seems to correlate with what the Bible talks about that they should feel, like faith, hope, love, whatever. And this is very troubling to people. Uh, they don't feel like they have the level of trust or yieldedness or repentance or love for Jesus or others, and they are just so disappointed, disillusioned, and wonder what is my problem, and they don't know how to make themselves get there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to stand here this morning and solve this and saying that it's not uncommon for people to struggle with this. And uh, then another thing I notice is, is uh, how hard it is for most people, many people, to, uh, to actually be transformed the way Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks in many other verses, that uh, to grow toward maturity and uh, be delivered from sinful habits. This is not just an automatic thing, and it's quite challenging for many people. And um, so I'm mentioning these, these two matters, and there are others too, um, that I think all of us who care about uh, salvation and transformation and an internal work of God in our hearts and being biblical, uh, these are the kinds of things we struggle with. Uh, but then I want to say that there are answers to these things, and that there are, um, God is at work, and, and um, these changes can happen. People can grow in these areas. I firmly believe that. I've seen that happen. It's happened for me. It's happened for many of you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and your presence with us. And I pray that you would speak to us whatever you want us to know, understand, and uh, grow our faith, our relationship with you, and uh, bring about in our, in our hearts, personally, and in our lives, uh, whatever it is that you wish to accomplish. And thank you. Amen.